This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and we have some things to cover. Holy cow, the Elon Musk story is amazing, and we'll get that. So what you need to know today is what you need to know is Elon Musk is a beginning, not an end. But it won't be easy. It won't be easy, and we'll talk about that. Also, we have uh, an interview with a man who is out there on the front lines as an attorney helping to keep people uh, safe and uh, keep people protected. Uh, His name is Eric Cardle, and Eric Cardle works for the Thomas More Society, and Thomas More Society has is a, a, a nonprofit public interest law firm, and they go out, in this case, up in Wisconsin three weeks ago, three weeks ago, not two years ago, there was a real, real old-fashioned electric, election fraud um, in court being proven. Now, I guess, you know, you're not supposed to say it counts because it doesn't count if it's happened now. It didn't happen back then. But anyway, we'll talk with Eric Cardle about what he saw and what his clients saw and what is happening there. And we will also have an interview with our friend Teresa Barbale, Barbale from down in Naples, Florida. She's got a big event happening uh, this uh, coming weekend for the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, the organization with which I work. Uh, but also, she's in DeSantis land. So whenever you can talk to somebody from DeSantis land, it helps because um, they can tell you what's really going on on the ground. One of the things I want to point you to, we'll talk about this later, Ron DeSantis actually has signed up, excuse me, has signed a bill into law that creates a new election integrity uh, law enforcement unit in the Secretary of State's office down there in um, Florida. Fascinating to find out more about that. Uh, 25 officers hired uh, and, and professionals hired to check on election fraud and pursue election fraud and protect integrity. Pretty cool stuff. All right. But first, what do you need to know today? Elon Musk. Elon Musk is closing a deal to take over Twitter. Now, first, I want to make an observation that I'm not sure that I made clear enough, but I know from experience. In St. Louis, a decade ago or so, when the Belgian company Imbev, Belgian company Imbev, made a bid for Anheuser-Busch, the famous American brewery, I, I have talked to people that were in, involved at the highest level on the Anheuser-Busch side. And what happened was, and I, these numbers are a little bit off, but they're not too far off. Imbev, the Belgian company based in, uh, based in Europe, therefore benefiting from lower taxes, by the way, one of the factors. Imbev made a bid to take over Anheuser-Busch, and they bid something like $72 a share for a a stock that was trading at $50 a share, something like that. And when I talked to someone afterwards, we were all stunned that the deal went through. I'm wearing a T-shirt right now that we were put together at the time to fight the sale because we didn't want our American brewer to be owned by foreigners, and we turned out we were right, by the way. Um, I still don't find it as satisfactory at all the way the company's run now, but be that as it may, my friend told me at that level – of, of, of big business and, and publicly traded business, the board of directors is in a bind when there's a legitimate offer to overpay with such value. In that case, Anheuser-Busch was getting paid, you know, probably about 15%, maybe, excuse me, 20%, maybe 25% more than the, 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 the company was worth. You, you, you really, as a board, if you say no, you're guaranteeing 18 months of litigation and losing anyway. So that's what happened with Twitter. Elon Musk made a legitimate offer. He had the money, he got the financing, and he therefore they really couldn't do anything but accept the offer. 
So that's the first thing. That's amazing. And that's amazing to think about. And, and let me say, back at the time that that happened, I guess it was 06 or 07, 05, 06, 07, the Anheuser-Busch. Had it been another six months later, so it must have been 07, 08. If it had been a little bit later the, and the world economy cratered like it did in 08, then Imbev would not have been able to get the financing. As it stood, they got the financing because the world was still floating you know, on this high and hadn't crashed out with the great housing crisis. Elon Musk was able to make a bid of almost $50 billion in part because in the last two years, his net worth has gone from, I don't know, $25 billion up to $250 billion, something like that. So the timing of everything has been unbelievably perfect for it to work, but there it is. But here's my cautionary tale, what you need to know, my caution here. Elon Musk taking over Twitter is extraordinary. And Elon Musk taking over Twitter is an indication that we can hope and see real change, real disruption in the narrative machine's big tech partners. So Twitter is one of the worst, you know, one of the biggest problems of the narrative machine is Twitter silencing voices and picking winners and losers. It's true. So when you have the narrative machine, big tech, big money, excuse me, big tech, big government and big media working together, the big tech is really the most powerful in some ways. So it's a big deal. Elon Musk has shown the American people and the world, you can fight back and you can fight against, you know, uh, you can fight against the biggest enemy. You can fight Goliath and you can strike him down. You can smote him down. However, the world of Twitter is in my description relatively limited but powerful but it's limited to the people who are influencers meaning twitter is the place where media big media is impacted and big governments impacted and and yes politics is impacted so in some ways it's at the heart of things but over here jeff bezos and amazon and um and uh facebook and instagram and tiktok these are, these are entities that are having massive growth in use and grass, massive influence. Now, don't before you jump on me and say Facebook's not, my point in Facebook growing is Instagram, the impact of Instagram, because it's owned by them too. I know people will tell me, oh boy, but you know, Facebook's only being used by older people, but it's being used by a lot of older people. I, I don't know whether the, what the numbers are, but I can tell you that in a certain set, probably 45 and older, they're still using Facebook a lot. So back to my point. Musk has shown a way for a real battle to be engaged against the powers of big tech. But my goodness, some of the biggest of big tech is still sitting out there. You just look at Alphabet, which is Google and YouTube, and the impact, again, of what they do in, in, in how they shape what we see and what we know. In some ways, is it possible that Elon Musk's Victory so far is a Pyrrhic victory, is a, is a victory that appears to be bigger than what we're seeing. And I used to say out loud, what Mark Zuckerberg wanted more than anything was Bezos or Twitter, Dorsey, or somebody to be in the hot seat. Because if they're in the hot seat, Zuckerberg's not. I, I used to say that one of the things that you'd want to be, if you were a big tech guy, is you'd want to see a fight between, uh, say, say Bezos and Amazon and the government or Google and YouTube and the government because you can hide over here. That's what Zuckerberg's got. 
Zuckerberg is happy to have the next year be all about Elon Musk and let all that energy go towards Elon Musk in terms of opposition, which is happening all the time. Because Zuckerberg is continuing to grow his influence, Instagram, Facebook. And meanwhile, to me, this goes into the category of what happened to our attention span that we forget. Here's the two examples. After the 2020 election, there were serious questions asked about the code, the source code for the machines and the tabulating machines that were used. But we hear nothing about that now. We just all moved on. I mean, incredible, isn't it? And we've just moved on from that to the next, you know, situation. We've forgotten about it. And similarly, you watch the impact of Facebook and Twitter and, 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 and social media broadly. And you say, we, we, we kind of just move on. We move on to the next, uh, next conversation. And here's the really most glaring example. TikTok. It's owned by the Chinese communist regime. They control it. They influence our kids. They feed them stuff. They feed all of us stuff. And we knew that. Trump talked about banning it and did, did something to limit it. Biden went and rolled that back. So we have a, a foreign adversary, a, a, a rival, what do you want to call them? I don't, we're not supposed to call them enemies. They feel like enemies. The Chinese communists that are running TikTok, destroying our kids. We had that conversation a year ago. Should we ban TikTok? And then we stopped and nothing's gone. They're still growing all the time. And now we're going to fight over, we're going to fight over Twitter. You're going to watch the left and the right fight over Twitter. Meanwhile, TikTok is continuing to brainwash our kids. Just like we're fighting over whether we should have uh, uh, election integrity and, and, uh, and less drop boxes and less uh, absentee ballots. That's what the interview in a few minutes with Eric Carball will be about. In Wisconsin, you've got clerks changing the rules, just accepting absentee ballots or, or that they, in violation of the law. Meanwhile, the tabulators, the machines that count, the, the computers, the source code is still secret. What's happening here? How are we losing our focus so quickly away from the things that actually could change elections? At least the ballots being handed to a clerk in violation of the law are observed. That's what this lawsuit's about. In a few moments, we'll talk with Eric Carbell of the St. Thomas More Society. But the reality of the counting machines, the tabulators, we just don't know. And we've moved on. Just like we're going to fight with Elon Musk, we're going to fight about Twitter Everybody, there'll be lawsuits now. He's probably going to take it private so he can control it. We're going to debate whether Trump should come back on Twitter. And meanwhile, over here, TikTok, owned by the communist Chinese, is going to continue to brainwash our kids. That feels like it might be the very definition of a victory, a Pyrrhic victory, which is to say one that is not a real win. All right, all that and more. That's what you need to know. Coming back, uh, coming up in a moment. But please visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email. Listen to these great segments. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Well, you all know, my listeners, uh, Eric, that uh, I talk a lot about the question of election integrity. Uh, years ago, I was the chairman of the Board of Elections in St. Louis, I think 05, 06, 07, around that time. So I saw up close, it's not easy to run elections. It takes a lot of uh, work. It takes a lot of smarts. Uh, and the systems around elections that have are, give you security are important. And uh, they're as important in many ways as the computers or technology 
technology. It's the system's all about people. So our next guest is uh, Eric Cardle, and Eric Cardle's a special counsel with the Thomas More Society, and he has, um, as, as an attorney there, is uh, helping in a case with a case up in Wisconsin that makes you wonder. And so, first of all, welcome, sir. How are you? Oh, thank you. Doing great. Thanks for having me, Ed. So uh, tell me what happened. Walk me through. I'm looking at uh, the coverage of this, but walk me through what happened here and what it, what, what the concern is for the system. Well, uh, we have to start with the 2020 election in Wisconsin and the Zuck Bucks. Um, $8.8 million of Zuckerberg funding went into election administration in Green Bay, was, right. uh, Kenosha, Racine, Milwaukee, and Madison, the five cities. And that there really was, uh, with that $8.8 million, a change in approach to election administration. Basically, the idea was to increase uh, in-person and absentee voting opportunities for you know, the residents of those cities and particularly targeted neighborhoods where there are a lot of Democrats. Mm-hmm. And so we have been working through those by filing different lawsuits and by getting information through the open records law requests in Wisconsin. And we found that the progressives, uh, basically are in a little ideological silo and their, their view is that, you know, you can violate election law uh, to influence election results. And so here, you know, we're very sympathetic to virtually all the municipal clerks in Wisconsin because they're all trying to do their job, except the clerks in these five largest Wisconsin cities. And so this new lawsuit is part of that. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Eric Cardle, and Eric Cardle is with the uh, Thomas More Society, a public interest uh, law firm and organization that helps, uh, uh, I'd say, good do good things, uh, do lots of different kinds of things. So, um, what? first of all, what, what you hear from people all the time, a couple things. One is, well, it's not enough to make a difference. I mean, if you have somebody, who, some clerk who's taking a couple hundred ballots, oh, it's not enough to make a difference in the election. That's one. And that, now, you're a lawyer and you're you know working on this issue. Obviously, say, well, when you're breaking one law, you're either likely to break other laws or you at least don't want to encourage the idea of looking the other way. The second thing is, it's a long time after the election. Has none of this been looked at? And, and in, say it a different way. Is it past the time where you can really find out what's gone on? They've gotten rid of things. They've they've moved on. They've figured out how to lie about it. What's what's your sense on those two questions? Well, no, no we're actually winning. Uh, with respect to a few of your questions, I'm just delighted that the way you phrase that. You know, you know if a person violates the law once, they'll probably violate it again. Right. Normally, you know, in good times, we're just talking about our fellow citizens who, according to the state of nature, our sinfulness will make mistakes. <laughs> right. But in this bad times where everything's going downhill, we're talking about our, our government officials, you see. Yeah. So we don't want our government officials to be serial violators of the law because they're supposed to implement and enforce the law. So in, in Wisconsin, in this particular case, you know, it relates to the April 5, 2022 election. So it doesn't go back, but we have the same characters who are willing right. to violate the law in order to influence election results. So right. clerks busting Jeffries in Green Bay over the objections of three observers accepted from uh, individual voters uh, during this April 5th, 2022 election a couple weeks ago, multiple ballots, multiple absentee ballots from an individual voter. And the Wisconsin statute says that a person if voting absentee has to personally deliver their ballot to the clerk's office and give it to the clerk or put it in a U.S. postal box. And so for the clerk to accept multiple ballots from an individual voter when the law is so clear, 
is quite extraordinary. In fact, um, it, I don't know if you've been to Green Bay, but Green Bay is a lovely place to to work and to live. Mm-hmm. And with respect to Clerk Celestine Jeffrey's commitment to violating the law, definitely above average. <laughs> well, uh, and I should have set this up. You know, one of the dangers of being doing radio a lot and, and, and reading up on this is that you don't, I didn't set it up well enough for the listeners. You almost have to, uh, it's almost sometimes better to be completely in the dark. And I, I'm sorry I messed this up. I, I should have set the whole thing up by saying, this instance that Eric Cardell, the special counsel for Thomas More Society, is helping fight against was April 2022 weeks ago where there is irregularities. In other words, if somebody said, oh, 2020, it was a presidential, it was a long time ago. This was weeks ago. And the system either hasn't been improved, hasn't changed, hasn't something because you're not, you have eyewitnesses who are saying, wait, this is what you're doing. You know, this is what we saw happen. And, you know, what's your answer? And and by the way, to broaden my point, Eric, I, I often say to people, when when you have prominent Democrat lawyers uh, and, and others do interviews and say that they're fortifying the 2020 election, through the use of litigation and strategies to try to change the rules, you, you have to really suspend your belief in, uh, in, your, in, in human nature to think that they stopped short of other means than sort of just abiding by the laws. Like, oh, we're going we're gonna, to you know, basically mislead the court on this, but we're not going to commit fraud over here. It's hard, just hard to believe. It could be that your ethics have a sort of a, a, a stopping point like that. But what happens in this case, Eric? In, in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, you've got these allegations. You're getting traction. They're actually, it's pretty clear. What happens next? Well, I think the, you know, I am a courtroom lawyer and I, you know, I'm excited about that, but you also have to be excited in these types of cases when there's been successful investigation Uh and, you know, Wisconsin Voters Alliance, um, these three individuals stepping forward, Janet Angus, Matt Razor, Vicki Linson, all fantastic citizens. And in the first instance, you know, we've gotten a lot of coverage, a lot of messaging out of the investigation and the results of the investigation. And so there's an awareness. In fact, uh, the, the policy committee of the Green Bay uh, City is meeting um, to discuss banning Zuckbucks, uh-huh. which would be just a huge deal. I mean, when you think about it, you know, the April 5th election went really well for election integrity forces. And so we want a couple council seats. And so we have a working election integrity majority on the Green Bay uh, common council, what they, uh, what they call city council. And, and so we're very excited about that. That could be a quick victory, you know, in Green Bay, you know, just like, well, okay, we're, we're not going to let Zuckerberg money influence whether we follow election laws anymore in Green Bay. Right. And so that's good. And then the complaint goes to the Wisconsin Elections Commission, but the complainant, Matt Razor in this case, uh, he, he gets to you know appeal if there's an adverse decision to the Brown County Circuit Court in Green Bay, and so there's litigation ahead of us. But it, you know it's really exciting uh, for me as a lawyer to see how much attention is being paid to the idea that uh, you know the election clerk in Green Bay, Celestine Jeffries, is openly following an atextual reading right. of the law. So yeah. you know it's it's interesting because people read the law and say, well, it says personally delivered. And that her position is, well, I have the discretion to accept val- multiple ballots. They don't have to be personally delivered. Right. Like, and then oh, our right, response right. in this postmodern <laughs> age has to be, well, that's atextual. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you got to follow the legal text. And what I found, Ed, and I, I'm sure you'll appreciate this, is that a clerk like Celestine Jeffries in Green Bay 
you know, she's able to read the, the laws that authorize her powers very well. Right. And when it comes to laws that limit her power. Yeah, yeah, so that's, right. that's right. There should be some, there should, there should be a Greek myth like that or something where you, you <laughs> only see the things that are, are uh, encouraging as opposed to prohibitive. I don't know. But uh, again, we're talking with Eric Cardle, who's with uh, the Thomas More Society. A, a, uh, he is uh, one of their uh, uh, councils here and, and working on this matter. Um, I agree with you. And I tell people all the time, one of the things that they were doing after 2020, when they were saying no cases have succeeded in court, was they were making it sound like that was the only place where you actually take a case of voter fraud or a, an instance of voter fraud or an instance of irregularity as if, you know, as if the only place you can get sort of uh, redress is a court. Whereas you and I both know, and I'm a lawyer too, a lot of cases get to court and they're in the wrong place. They're in the wrong filing. They're, they're positioned wrong or they're not something that court can take up and or they don't want to. It really doesn't mean anything. There'll be times where you're in court and you'll say and you, the judge can look at you and say, you clearly have all the the the, the right to pursue this. You, you're, it looks like you're right. Right, but this isn't the right place. And so when you have instances, as you point out, of uh, now of, of of fraud and and more importantly, I think not just fraud, it's systems that are failing when the systems are failing, checks and balances and otherwise, this is where both parties are failing, all parties that, that care about this. The system, if the system is failing, it has to be changed. A few days ago, they had an election in France. They voted all the same day. And France is supposed to be progressive and liberal and all that. They voted on one day, a Sunday. It's a different debate about having a holiday or whatever. Um, so, Eric, what's the one last thing? I'm, I'm, I'm filibustering a bit, but uh, Eric Cardell, again, the special counsel of Thomas More Society. What's the timeline? What, what do you expect to see in terms of your case? And, uh, and also, Wisconsin's got a lot going on in 2022. So, do you expect to see any changes in laws or uh, the election authority that will clamp down on this before November? Right. Well, Thomas More Society uh, on the, the Zuckbucks, uh, you know, we, we were out there in, in Wisconsin and in seven other states as well, uh, filing lawsuits on the, on the Zuckerberg issue in federal court. And the federal courts, uh, uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't think they were prepared on the standing issue to, to find standing. But the, the result of that litigation, the highlighting of this, you know, there have been, you know, dozens of additional lawsuits. There's been, uh, what three books written about this? Uh, there's one movie that's already been distributed. A second movie coming, and 16 states have banned Zuckbucks, and that was all uh, uh, through their, our efforts and the efforts of our partners, like Foundation for Government Accountability. 16 states since the 2020 election have banned private donations uh, from these sources. Now, in Wisconsin, like Michigan and Pennsylvania, the state legislatures have passed laws banning Zuckbucks, but the Democrat governors have vetoed it. Right. right. And that's happened twice in Wisconsin. And the, the Wisconsin state legislature has responded under the leadership of Speaker Robin Voss to um, have a constitutional amendment of the 2024 ballot. Right. So meantime, you know, in addition to the litigation, we've been lobbying. And on Friday, we received uh, the first county in Wisconsin, Walworth County, uh-huh. has banned Zuckbucks. Right. And the Green Bay Policy Committee, as I mentioned today, is considering banning Zuckbucks. So you, the governor Evers vetoes, but the counties and cities of Green Bay are going to say, no, we're not going to take your money to promote violations of election law. Yeah. And so well, it's huge. And, and yeah. the litigation will take some time, but we'll, we'll get there. 
Well, listen, thank you for coming on, first of all, and uh, and for fighting that fight. Uh, Eric Cardall, again, the special counsel with Thomas More Society. Uh, keep us informed. We'll maybe have you back on again when we get more uh, progress with it. And uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's there's very few slam dunks. There's very few. And, you know, this is a trial attorney. There's very few. You don't get the the question that sinks the whole thing or, or rises. It. It's it's a thousand cuts, a thousand questions, a thousand data points that begin to put a mosaic together. Where people say, aha. I'm going to have to change that behavior. I'm going to have to modify that the penalties or something. So I think what you're doing is really important. I encourage you and, and thank you again for coming on the show. Thanks, Ed. Have a great day. All right, Eric, Eric Cardall, uh, Thomas More Society Special Counsel. We will take a break, everybody, and come back. Don't forget, go over to ProAmericaReport.com and you can listen to this great interview again and lots of other things over there, lots of interviews and segments. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, the reason that I was thinking to talk to our, our friend Teresa Barbale was that in a couple of days down in Florida, in the Naples area, she's uh, one of the leaders of a great event, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles of Florida. They're having an event uh, uh, April 29th in the evening, a dinner event, and the title is Honoring the Past to Shape Our Future, the Importance of Voting Local, which is a great phrase and a great topic. And uh, and then I thought, well, she's uh, Teresa's got her finger on the pulse of Florida politics, too, with Governor DeSantis, who's all over the news and uh, incredible. The Disney, um, you know, I, I, I don't read the news reports closely, Teresa, but I guess Governor DeSantis basically uh, banned Disney from ever functioning. Oh, no, wait, he didn't do that. He just took away the <laughs> sweetheart deal. So anyway, first of all, Teresa, welcome back to the program. How are you? Thank you. I am doing great. Florida's great. And we are loving having a governor who is strong and not afraid. I mean, in this culture, we have to have people who aren't afraid. Yeah, we're, t- we're talking with Teresa Barbale. Teresa, um, that's true. And But what's it like in Florida? Because, you know, it comes down to a, a, a governor. Your governor actually, you know, when we, when we see him all over the country, we see him every couple of days because he does something that's insanely good and fun. But I love the, I, I, the thing I love about DeSantis so much is he does things that are right. But he does them in a way that's just total confidence and funny and interesting to me. But in you know your governor in your home state where you live does a lot of other stuff, and uh, and Florida got a lot of attention because they got through the pandemic and it was up and down and here and there. Right, there were moments that were really good and some that weren't as good. But uh, they gained um, the economy grew, uh, people moved there. But so tell me what is going on in Florida? Is 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 the day to day DeSantis as much fun as the national one? He is. I mean, like a couple weeks ago, they, we got an email. It was like an email, you know, you get these emails that he's visiting your area and where he's going to be. Right. And when you're in your mind, where you think he's going to be is like the hotels and the clubs and, you know, exclusive places. But what he likes to visit is locally owned restaurants and businesses. So he came to a diner around the corner from my house, like a half mile away. Wow. And so we just all showed up at this diner and he comes in and he's handing out hats and shirts and answering questions and taking pictures and hugging babies and just sincere, not, you know, this is not a guy sitting up in a white, a white horse who rides in. He's at the mom and pop diner having a burger with everybody like a normal person and showing his, his real support for the community, for small business owners, and that he's not going to let them down and let them close due to COVID restraints. And I think that's very important. And and uh, Governor DeSantis has this interesting thing where he's got a Republican legislature, but that doesn't always mean 
you get what you want. He seems to actually get what he wants. I mean, I, I mean, you know, there's lots of governors across the country. Republican governors got a Republican House and a Republican Senate, the state level. And then you still find you're fighting with, I don't know, this group or that group. Sometimes it's the rhinos. Sometimes it's the, you know, business friendly group or whatever. He seems to be getting what he wants. It, 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 and he hasn't a reelection this year. He sees go up for reelection. I haven't heard much attention by this time last cycle when he was just running to be governor there was this wild uh, race and it was considered you know the definitive race of the of the cycle and all and he won of course narrowly is does his opponent or his opponents they have a real shot i don't think so i know that nikki freed has been trying she is currently our commissioner of agriculture for the state of florida but i knew she was trying to run as a democratic uh, nominee and it, it's kind of a joke it, at this point if you're in florida and you don't like the santas you've left <laughs> you're not here anymore right. so overwhelmingly the state adores him and he goes anywhere and everybody wants to meet him see him and the type of stuff that he does he came to naples i think it was about two weeks ago to sign the no patient left alone act uh-huh. and it was really important to our area because our community is older. We have a retirement community and a lot of people, the hospitals would ban visitors and they were still doing it because of COVID oh. and you would die alone. Wow. So it's happening nationally. And DeSantis said, you know, I don't care what disease someone has. If their family wants to be there when they're dying, they're allowed to. Wow. Yeah. And that is, uh, that's that's, the, yeah. That's the stuff. And, and in Florida, I hate to say this. I mean, it's a little bit of a caricature. Florida's got all these old people, right? Lots of retirees that this would mean a lot to them yeah. uh, to know. So that's uh, wow. Um, so the, 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 the odds on favored for the Democrats, is it, is it Nikki Freed? Is that her name? I, I'm not sure who the favorite is, but I've seen a lot from Nikki. And then um, there's, there's a couple others, but none of them, if you're if you're down here and you don't have DeSantis flag in your yard, you know your neighbors <laughs> aren't going to like you too much. <laughs> so right. I don't know if there's really a favorite. So let's uh, let's talk about this event on Friday, and it's a it's an event sponsored by CCAP. Uh, which is our great friend Kathleen Sullivan founded the Collier County Abstinence Program, also a Phyllis Schlafly Eagles of Florida event, honoring the past to shape our future. The importance of voting local. What's the what's the message? And and what you know you're having events fundraiser and all that, so I know that matters. But how how are you sort of uh, uh, driving the message? We're six months from a, another election cycle, an important one. Um, why vote local? So what we've seen in our own community is that our school board has been kind of taken over by the left, not just kind of, it's, it's very much taken over by the left. The agenda that we saw from our youth coming out during the pandemic was terrible. So with everybody paying so much attention to the higher offices, our kids were left very vulnerable. And as well as our community, our county commissioners and our city councilmen, those people impacted our small businesses greatly. And even though DeSantis would say, you know, the state's open, our community kept getting these red flags that they couldn't open their doors from our county commissioners, from our city councilmen. And they even closed the beach, which sounds ridiculous, but we actually had county commissioners post sheriffs at the beach to prevent people from going to the beach. Mm, Wow. And these were all very, um, and most of them ran as Republicans. They claim to be Republican. The school board is bipartisan. It's neither. 
but um, they have radical sex ed. They have a lot of the social emotional learning theory, even though the state has banned it, they kept trying to put it in. And we need to focus on our local elections and not just the larger elections as a whole, because if we miss that, then, you know, what do they say? The, you have to focus on what's closest to you first. Right. Or else there's no point right. in right. having. No, that's right. And I, the, the interesting thing is, um, though, motivating the turnout, right? Getting people to turn out is the thing. I mean, I think that's in Florida, you're going to ben- benefit from uh, DeSantis on the ballot. People are going to say, I care about that. I know how that affects me. And it's going to uh, percolate all the way to, all the way down. It's But sometimes sometimes you have, a, you know, people say I'm mad, I'm frustrated, but they don't realize the importance of voting for a school board. Or I think it, I think that's clearer now yeah. because of the last three years or so, or maybe more like a year and a half. Uh, but it's still, still, I, I, I can tell you, and you know, from your work, it's still hard to get people to move. You still have to sort of get them in the habit of moving and, and getting out to vote and telling their friends and neighbors. Um, tell me a little bit more about CCAP, how CCAP is going, please. So we are excited to be I think I might have lost you for a, a second. New... We'll see if I get you back. I'm oh, talking sorry. to Teresa Barbell about the upcoming event in uh, in Naples, Florida, this Friday, April 29th. I will, uh, we'll see if we can pick her back up. I'm not sure what exactly happened. She was on the move. Uh, I could tell you a personal part of how busy she is. Um, but it is, um, it is a busy time anyway. So the event will be this Friday and uh, let me uh, underscore the timing again for people that are interested that are, and maybe have friends or family down in the Naples area. It's a great event. Uh, it will be focused on, uh, on the importance of the upcoming election and getting people out to vote and be participating. Uh, it's one of the things, as I mentioned just now, we've talked about it before on the program. Self-censorship is one thing self inaction or you know inertia where you just stay home and you yell at the tv not good enough not good enough and so you got to try to uh got to try to fight through that and that's what we're seeing in places like uh in uh in Naples Florida where they have this great event so i will post all that up on social media we lost teresa barbell uh i'm not sure what happened to the connection but we'll have to move on and come back in a moment it's ed martin here on the pro america report we'll be back in a moment don't forget visit proamericareport.com to listen to all these great interviews as well as sign up for the daily email and uh, hold on wait a second wait a second this is live radio i think we've got her back let's see if we can get her back she's just um checking back in and uh and i uh, let's see if we get her and of course again we go to proamericareport.com proamericareport.com is where i said the daily email that goes out uh every morning at uh, 8 a.m east coast time 5 a.m pacific time you can uh check it all out there so uh and and when you sign up you get all the information all the different kinds of things what you need to know segment as well as the um uh, interviews we do and links to these events, the event like the one that's happening down in Naples, Florida. All right, we're gonna have to go. I think we have misconnected or disconnected with Teresa Barbale. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. In a 1988 appearance on the television program Crossfire, the late Phyllis Schlafly was berated by a condescending leftist who claimed that parents who object to certain materials in our schools are a fringe group with no merit to their claims. 
Rather than falling into the trap of responding to personal attacks, Phyllis wisely outlined her list of the seven types of materials that parents don't want forced on their children in public schools. By enumerating this list, Phyllis made herself more appealing to the audience by giving them something they could all get behind. The list included the following seven types of objectionable materials. Materials with obsessive amounts of profanity, blasphemy, and gutter language. Materials with themes of the occult and Satanism. Those with elements of Eastern religions that encourage transcendental meditation. Those with inappropriate topics like incest, homosexuality, and so on. Materials with gross, sexually explicit passages. Materials which actively encourage students to rebel against their parents. And those which are okay, but not appropriate for the age group to which they're assigned. I'm struck by how many of these categories of objectionable materials can still be found in school libraries today, even though Phyllis's list is more than three decades old. This not only shows how timeless the work of Phyllis Schlafly is, but it also shows that the anti-parent forces of the public school system are very much alive today. They have a clear agenda, and they won't give up on it, no matter how long it takes. Concerned parents need to be as determined to protect our children as the left is to destroy them. If we lapse on our parental duty, even for one generation, the consequences could be disastrous. Just as they did to Phyllis Schlafly, they will mock us and call us fanatics. Don't let this shake you. Almost no parent wants their child to be exposed to gutter language, occultism, explicit sex, and themes of rebellion against parents. No matter what the union-bought pundits say, you're not the crazy one. Parents can, and they should, unite for better school curricula. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Our mission, clearly stated at phyllisschlafly.com, is to enable and mobilize grassroots activism on behalf of cherished conservative values. You're encouraged today to go online and read the goals we support and those we oppose. Then join us. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's wrap things up with a little less. I should do a segment called I Told You So, although that's not that fun. But uh, I, I could do a segment. Uh, I, I could do a segment that shows you how you can look at certain websites and news entities and um, read through the lines, read between the lines. And here's an example. Politico had a piece a couple days ago on the abortion industry and in particular how the abortion industry is shifting to rely on pills. Now, we've talked about that, that they want uh, to do abortion not uh, through a procedure in an office, but to do it instead through pills. And even this is the RU46 is the famous uh, pill that people knew of, although they've changed the names a little bit. And um, and they want to do it by mail. Um, in fact, they want to do everything by mail, uh, and they used COVID at one point to uh, the FDA said, well, you can do telemedicine for an exam, uh, show the test, uh, you know, if somebody's pregnant, prove that, and then and, and diagnose uh, uh, whatever you want, or diagnose, how do you do that? Diagnose pregnancy, and then prescribe abortion, and do it with the pills arriving in the mail. Well, the interesting thing about Politico is you read the piece, and they basically say abortion is 
The abortion industry knows the future is pills. They're worried about the regulations around pills. And, you know, what are we going to do if the, if the so-called conservatives block access to pills and mail? Well, what's really between the lines, which gives me some encouragement, is they know that the Supreme Court, it looks like it's more, you know, it's getting closer and closer. June 30th, July 1st will be the date when they, uh, release the, uh, new opinion in, in Dobbs uh, and the Mississippi case, and therefore they're going to see a change. This, they're they're going to see the abortion industry is going to have to change, and they're already predicting, sort of going, hey, this is where we have to go. What are the obstacles? Let's try to get ahead of that and condition the public to believe this is a public health concern, not a abortion preference concern. That's what they're doing. They're basically saying, hey, 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 this is a, a public health issue. You know, access to this this uh, important thing. We got to worry about that, the regulatory framework and how oh, it's going to happen and all. Meanwhile, what they really mean is they've got to get the abortions out there and they're worried about being slowed down. So watch for that. Anyway, that's enough on that. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our great producer, and Joanna Spilger, our associate producer. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.